To get things started this morning, I'd like to ask you to imagine what it would be like if you had the opportunity to have a face-to-face interaction with the most significant religious leader alive. What if you had five minutes, five seconds, five hours? What if you had an opportunity to sit down with the most influential, the most popular, the most powerful religious leader on the planet? What would you say? Today we have an opportunity to witness, to see, to hear what happened when Jesus did that very thing. When Jesus is face-to-face, personal interaction with a super powerful, super influential, perhaps even because of what our text is going to say, the most significant teacher, religious teacher on the planet. It's going to be anything but dull. Okay? It's going to be anything but dull. And it's so interesting that this teacher, Jesus doesn't go to him. The teacher comes to Jesus. He actually wants to get something from Jesus. What's he going to say? Well, we already kind of know, but just pretend with me for a minute. What's he going to say? I was doing a little bit of looking on the internet regarding super influential, popular religious leaders in our day and what people have said to them, what Christ followers have said to them. It's pretty amazing. And this is going to be amazing too. We're in the third chapter of the gospel according to John. So if you can turn there, if you're not already there, we're going to look at the first 15 verses. Jesus engages with a man named Nicodemus. He's called the teacher of the Jews. Big deal. If you're just joining us, you're new to Omaha Bible Church. It's our practice. It's our custom to work through books of the Bible, uh, asking questions like, who is Jesus? No, who is Jesus really? Uh, not just who we think he is, who, who, who is he really, truly? What did he really say? What did he really teach? What did he really mean? And we're in the third chapter of John so that we can see Jesus for who he really is, so that we might come to know him and believe in him. So you've come at a great time. John 3, one of the most popular chapters in the whole Bible. In one sense, John 3 should be the least popular. John 3 should be the most boring because Jesus is going to say things like, you don't even know this? Everybody knows this. In that sense, this should be boring stuff. But it's not boring. It's exciting. In fact, it's one of the most popular, if not the most popular, because when things we're supposed to know that should be boring are forgotten, it really sets the stage for Conflict, excitement, fireworks, correction. On the other side, hope, change, truth. Can't wait. Here we go. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees, the preeminent religious leaders of the Jews, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Think more religiously than politically, though there would be politics involved. A religious ruler, a religious leader, he knows the Bible very, very, very well, would have major portions of it memorized, formally trained, 
leading. They're under Roman occupation, but they're giving lots of freedom to the Jews to lead their own people because it's effective to do that. A ruler of the Jews. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we, notice, myself and others, we know, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I stressed, we know. Because that becomes a big issue. Because he's the kind of guy that knows things. Okay? He's an authority. It's his job to know things. It's his job to be knowing more than other people know. It's his job to be leading. Okay? And so if he says, we know these things, it's like, yeah, we know these things, so they're, they're for sure absolutely true. And if we know them, it's almost like it makes them true. And I'm making a big deal out of that, not reading too much into it. I'm reading into it based upon what's going to come up later. Okay? comes under the cloak of darkness. The passage doesn't say why, so I'm not going to say why. But reading into it again before we move on, because of what's going to come up later, like in verse 12, what's going to come up later, we can know that Nicodemus has come to learn something, and he doesn't want to just learn the basics. He wants something extra. Here's a man we, we know, we've decided even, we've evaluated and decided he's come from God, and I'm a significant teacher, if not the most significant teacher, and so give me some more information. And we know he's not coming looking for the basics, because he's wrong about the basics, and Jesus later on is going to say, you come looking for the heavenly stuff, and you don't even understand the ABCs. You, you come looking for the extraordinary special stuff, but you don't even know the two plus two is four. Okay, that's going to come later, so I'm reading into it now because I'm interpreting the whole thing as a whole. He comes to Jesus by night, wanting to learn something extraordinary. And think about this. If you are the teacher of the Jews, a ruler of the Pharisees, you already know stuff, you're already esteemed and looked up to, but if you've got a special nugget, right? If you know even the extraordinary, you're, you're, you're going to be all the more significant. You see what I'm saying? It's so important that we read Bible verses in, in the context of the whole and let the verses interpret the verses. He wants extras. He comes to Jesus by night. Maybe that's why he's come. We speculate he comes by night because he's a secret believer and he doesn't want anybody to know. Based upon the way Jesus is going to bop him in the nose, so to speak, I don't think he's a secret believer. He wants to know that the secrets, the higher level stuff, to make him even higher level as a religious figure. So he comes by night, maybe so his other Pharisee buddies don't know. Reading into it, got to be careful. He wants something special. And we're going to go from 60 to zero, okay? 
We're going we're gonna to go from there comes this guy. He wants to know things. He's the most significant guy. He comes to Jesus. What is Jesus going to say to him? How about verse 3? Jesus answered him, truly, truly, this earnest, sober statement. Truly, truly, I say to you, let's read into this, the guy who knows things, right? I say to you, Mr. I know things, right? I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Bam! Right? You can't participate in God's kingdom. You can't be a part of that. Jews were expecting a coming kingdom with a coming Messiah that would be awesome and wonderful and last for eternity. They're they're, they're waiting for this. And he says, okay, mister, I know things. You don't know that unless you are born from above, unless you are born again, unless you have a new beginning, unless things change, you won't participate. How about that? How about that for winning friends and influencing people? I mean, it's just like... The the bystanders would be, and if I was a bystander, I would be thinking, I don't believe I would have said that. Right? And to say that to him, I mean, common common Jewish belief is that, that all Jews go to heaven. I mean, if you're apostate, okay, maybe not. But he's not just any of the all Jews. He, he's a significant one. He's a Pharisee. He's going to be called later by Jesus, the teacher of the Jews. Mr. Know-Things, I'm going to tell you something. Unless you, you won't ever. Ooh, wow. Stops him dead in his tracks. If you know so much, Nicodemus, why don't you even know this? Later on, Jesus is going to let the guy, he's going to make it clear, you should know this. You should know ABCs. He doesn't even know ABCs. This applies to you, Nicodemus. You don't know the most basics of the most basics. so excited about this I don't even know what to say next let's think about the here and now it's different I know but there are some similarities this religious leader thinks he's going to heaven of all people for sure he's going to see the kingdom of heaven right kingdom of God kingdom of heaven used interchangeably if anybody's in he's in And he's just looking for higher level stuff. And Jesus is saying, you can't know higher level stuff because you don't even know how to go to heaven. And unless something radical, we'll get to what born again means in a while, but unless that happens, you're not getting in. It's different, but think about our culture, our world, 21st century, middle America. What's the prerequisite for seeing God's kingdom? Death. Right? How do you get to heaven? You die. Because everybody goes to heaven. Because whenever somebody dies, 99% of the time we say, they're in a 
they're in a better place. That's just like default mode. They're in a better place. Or we say, well, at least not, at least she's not suffering anymore. Well, based upon what? Well, because they died. This doesn't even make sense. The good news is Jesus is going to help. Okay? He's going to help by correcting religious leaders who say such lies. As as long as you're related to the right religion, you're in. As long as you do enough, like me, I'm Mr. Pharisee, you're in. Well, that would argue, and it would also address those of us who don't think you have to absolutely do anything except die and you're in. You see, Jesus isn't going to be a mean guy here. He's actually going to be a nice guy. He's going to be loving, kind, compassionate, gracious. Let me tell you the truth so that you can go to heaven when you die. Instead of believing lying leaders who themselves are going. So you can read Jesus one of two ways. I would suggest, given the fact that he knows these things, you see him the right way. This is so great. How, how great is the fact that the, the incarnation happened, right? I mean, otherwise we're just like making this stuff up. But the whole thing from John is, in John chapter 1 we learned, he came from heaven and he, he spoke and he taught and he explained things. Because otherwise we're like, well, how do we know? How do we know? We don't know. We can't know. How about he actually came here to explain things so that we can know? It's, it changes everything. It absolutely changes everything. How can we know about heaven? How can we know how to get there? How can we know what it's like? How can we know God? How can we know what he's like? How can we know who we are? How can we have assurance? There's this little thing called the incarnation. And it changes everything. And we're seeing it here. Jesus is helping us. Being born again is the prerequisite. And it's something that this guy has to experience. Okay, we better keep going. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You know, it's ridiculous. Nicodemus is ridiculously being literal with what Jesus is saying. I don't know if he's doing it with a mean spirit or not. It kind of depends on how you translate some things. Because you can translate being born again that Jesus teaches being born a second time, being born again, like our translations typically take it, or you could actually translate it, uh, you could also translate it being born from above. It happens both ways in the New Testament. We know, because we know the whole story, Jesus means from above. But we don't know, does Nicodemus hear him meaning, you must be born from above, born from God, God must do something and then you can go to heaven? Or does he hear Jesus the way it's translated in the English Standard Version and others? You must be born a second time. You must be born again. So I don't know how big of a blockhead Nicodemus is being. Right? I mean, is he with 
with angst and, and, and negativity being purposefully, woodenly literal to, to be an arguer? Maybe. Or maybe he's truly puzzled. Don't know. Either way, he's not thinking the right way. He's not speaking the right way. Either naively so or with some angst and vitriol. Doesn't ultimately matter. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, earnestly, seriously, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It's going to interpret itself. Born from above helps. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What is born of water and the Spirit? Well, we know for sure what it doesn't mean, just quickly. It doesn't mean you must experience New Testament baptism. We know it doesn't mean that because he expects, as we're going to see in just a little bit, he expects Nicodemus, the Old Testament scholar, to know this. So whatever water is, it's not a New Testament thing like New Testament water baptism. Lots of people believe that. We know that he doesn't mean that because he's addressing Nicodemus. You should know this, Nicodemus. You're the teacher of Israel. So whatever it is, it's an Old Testament idea. You must be born of water and the Spirit. The Old Testament, we'll go to one passage in Ezekiel, but the Old Testament actually uses this kind of terminology a lot. You've got to be cleansed. You've got to have your sins washed away. You're spiritually dirty. You're not fit to enter in the, in the king's presence. So you have to be cleansed. You have to be washed. Not only that, your heart is bad. And so you have to have a new heart. You, you have to be regenerated. You have to be made new. Oh, by the way, that's what the Spirit does time and time and time and time and time again in the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's the, he's the creator. He's the creator of new creation. So it doesn't take a genius to figure out what he's getting at. Maybe it's a little bit harder for us because we're living in the New Testament era and we don't think in Old Testament terms. But time and time again, you have cleansing, 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 cleansing. And that's because of spiritual dirtiness sin, and we need God to do something by the power of the Spirit supernaturally to create or recreate. Surely that's what he's getting at. You need to be made spiritually clean, Nicodemus. You're spiritually dirty. You have a bad heart. See, those are ABCs. Those are basics. If you want to turn to Ezekiel, you can. Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37. Chapters 36 and 37. But these aren't the only passages we could go to. I think that's probably why Jesus doesn't quote Ezekiel, because this is, a, this is a commonly understood thing. Now, in your study Bibles, and you talk to people, and you hear people, they'll reference Ezekiel 36 and 37, and I think that's for good reason. Maybe it's the, you know, it's the most deluxe, slam-dunk, clear, capstone passage. But Jesus doesn't quote it. He doesn't have to. Now, as you're turning to Ezekiel, think in these terms. 
Nicodemus thinks he is acceptable before God, and so he comes looking for extras. Jesus is saying, you don't even know the basics, Nicodemus. You don't even know that you're spiritually filthy. You don't even know the most basic thing in the world. You don't know that God must do something to you. It must be from above. God must clean you and God must make you new again or you'll never go to God's kingdom. And see, this puts it in terms we can relate to and we can talk about. What's the main thing people need to know? They need to know they're spiritually dirty. They're sinful or they'll never understand who Jesus is. Jesus isn't here to teach you some special secrets so you could be better, more improved, Mr. Life Coach. Jesus is here to deal with the spiritual dirt problem. He's here to deal with your heart problem. And so Jesus knows that Nicodemus will never see him as the true Messiah if he doesn't understand that he's going to hell, Nicodemus is. Ooh. But see, that's how it is for my friends, too. Anyway, we're, 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 let's move on. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, verse 25 says... I, God, will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. Spiritual cleansing. Idols don't make you physically dirty. Spiritually dirty. And I will give you a new heart, verse 26 says, and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You you got to have cleanness spiritually and you've got to have newness spiritually and this is something that only God can do. Something everyone needs. Religious leaders included. We often forget this, right? How many people do you talk to that they think that they're good? How many Christians do you hear talk? And they're talking about people being good. How many Christian teachers do you, do, do you hear? Let's put it on the negative side. Telling people that they're not worthy. And that if they remain as they are, then they'll get what they deserve and it's condemnation. That's what Jesus does. Because there's no way to understand Jesus and what he's going to do unless you understand your need for it. Spiritual rebellion leads to spiritual dirtiness. It's hard though, right? It's hard to to explain this to people. Because even today, I potentially sound like some kind of out of touch, out of date. I I don't even sound like a Christian. Here, I'm going to stand in front of you and try to look at every, every one of you the best I can. If you feel like I'm looking at you, I am. If you feel like I'm not, I am. And to say, you are naturally not a good person. Naturally, apart from Christ, you are the enemy of God. And God would be glorified to condemn you for eternity. And that would be fair and right. Now, that doesn't sound like a Christian pastor. 
I might not invite my friends next time. What did you come for? Like extra special stuff? You should have come at night. This is like the most basic thing imaginable. You're spiritually dirty, and apart from God making you clean, you're going to hell. That's what's happening. And that's, that's not mean, it's just honest. But we're so used to listening to Nicodemus's that when we hear the real thing, we think, I don't believe I like to hear that. That's what I'm saying. That's what's happening here. We, we, there's a collision happening that's amazing. Mr. We know things, you don't know anything. You're a mess. How about that? If you had your five minutes of fame with, you name the religious person. Yeesh. I like my friend Robbie Clay, who used to be one of our pastors here. Didn't matter who it was. A little bit different, but kind of the same. Didn't matter who it was. His favorite thing to ask people was, even theologians and esteemed Bible teachers, leaders. So tell me, what is the gospel? Uh, um, uh, uh. It's not exactly the same, but it kind of strikes to the same issue. If we don't even know that we are sinful and under God's condemnation, we can't even get that right. What, what are we doing? And again, this isn't bad. This is good. It's bad what Nicodemuses do. It's bad when we're Nicodemuses. But it's good that Jesus says, hold on! You need God to do something. You need cleansing, new heart, new everything. I tried, one of the hardest people I've ever tried to evangelize, I I don't even know if it counted as evangelism. I think it did. I feel good about myself if I say it did. But trying to explain the gospel to a friend of mine who is a Hindu. And what made it extra difficult is the fact that he'd listened to all kinds of people who said they're Christians. And you know what he couldn't figure out? He couldn't figure out sin. Does not compute, does not compute, does not compute. I mean, I tried every which way but sideways to try to explain this. And from his perspective, that's not part of a Christian worldview. And you know what? I'm sunk then because Jesus is a life coach then. So let's look at his life for principles to live by. This is, this is wonderful that Jesus does this. Okay, we should keep going. Verse 6. Did we, did we do all verse 5? No, there's more to be seen there, but we probably should move on, right? <laughs> Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Kind of seems like a weird verse that's out of place. Many commentators, and I think they're onto something, think what he's addressing here is, Nicodemus, even if you could be born again physically, wouldn't do any good because you'd still be of the same nature. You still need to be made new by God. You still need to be born from above. If that's the intention or not, I don't know, but I know that that's true. 
How about John chapter 1 verse 13? Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Believers are born of God. They can't be born physically and have a change. They have to be born spiritually and have a change. Verse 7 says, Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. You could even translate that, Stop marveling at this. It's forceful. Stop thinking that this is such a shocking thing. It's not anything new. How about this? Stop being so shocked that I included you, Nicodemus. That might be what he's really shocked about. Yes, you. You must be born spiritually from above by God because you too are a sinner. First John chapter 1 verse 10 says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. If we don't agree with God that we're spiritual rebels, we're just saying God is a liar, because he's made it clear to everybody that everyone is a spiritual rebel. That's why he sent Jesus his son. This is, this is a challenge, isn't it? Trying to communicate this to our friends and family members and enemies and co-workers. This is hard. If, if you can communicate spiritual guilt to people, you've done a great thing. It's not the, it's not the gospel. <laughs> but it, it at least provides the right platform so that Jesus makes sense. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. I'm trying to explain. I want to be good at this. I want to explain to this. People, explain this to people. One of my friends said to me one time, do you think that everything is sin? I said, yes and no. No and yes. Longer conversation than we're going to have right here and right now. But I at least like it that you asked me the question. At least we were, we were dialoguing enough for him to ask that and I could explain and talk about the gospel. And I could say, you know what? I've never loved God with my heart, soul, and my mind, and my strength and loved my neighbor as myself perfectly ever in my life. And so in that sense, everything is a sin. I'm a sinner. And I'm in trouble. That's why I need Jesus. Okay, we should keep going. What is a mystery is what happens here. Should, that shouldn't be a mystery to us, but, but this is going to be mysterious. Here's an illustration. How about verse 8? The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. He's talking about naked eye here. He's not talking about complicated meteorological studies or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Naked eye, you're like, I, I see its effects... It blew all my leaves that were raked up over to here, right? Well, where did it come from? And how did that just happen? There's mystery involved to the naked eye. So it is, how about Jesus says, with everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
it's no mystery that you're a bad person, Nicodemus. I can talk to you about mystery, though, the way the Spirit of God works to bring about the new birth. That's a mystery. You can't harness it, Mr. Religious Leader, who would love to harness it because then you'd even have more fame and fortune. This is unharnessable. This is according to the free, sovereign working of God doing things as He sees fit. You can't understand the Spirit's work. You can't understand even people who have had the work of the Spirit in their life. There's mystery here. How about verse 9? Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? I appreciate the guy. He's he's been thinking that 2 plus 2 is 17, right? I mean, this is so foreign to him, for him to be where he is and to hear this now. How in the world could this be? Right? He's got the screen of death on his computer. He's got the, the color spinning wheel in his mind. Does not compute, does not compute, does not compute. I don't have categories for this. This is not what my parents taught me. This is not what my grandparents taught me. You know, this is what the Bible teaches because you've already put my nose in it. But this is, this, is, this, is, this is messing everything up. Verse 10, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? What's the implied answer? Or what's the implied response? What's Jesus getting at? You should! Right? This is, this is fundamental basics, baby steps 101. You don't even know this. Now, maybe there's more compassion involved than I'm showing. But looking at the whole, I tend to think less than more. You don't even know this. You, you, you can't know anything if you don't know this. You can't be a teacher of the Bible if you don't know this. You think people are good enough to do it some other way? To forget that they need the work of God? Otherwise, no heaven? No doubt this is how you think sometimes when you're talking to someone or listening to someone. And I think it's actually a, a, a Christ-like thing to think. You don't even know that! Right? Now dialogue becomes monologue, as someone said. Verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we... Now, at first, there's lots of discussion about who's he referring to? And I think what's most satisfying as a response, and I didn't come up with it on my own, he's talking about himself. He's not talking about his flunky disciples who haven't really caught on yet anyway. Maybe he is. But what he may be doing, and here's a view that I've bought into from others who know language, culture, New Testament better than I do. What he's doing is he's, I'm trying to think of the right word, 
because it sounds bad. Commentaries talk about aping, sardonically aping. I don't know what sardonic even is. He's picking up on Nicodemus' talk about we, 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 we know things. We, the Pharisees, we know, we know, we know, we know. We know you're from God. We're in charge. We're the authorities. We define reality. And Jesus says, we. I'll give you we. Now, maybe he means his disciples too. It doesn't really take away from it. But let's read it in that light. Truly, truly, I say to you, we, no matter what we know he's contrasting with one and two, we speak of what we know. And bear witness. Oh, there's credibility to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. I mean, it is a major blast. You think you're in charge with your speculations and your theories and you're trying to figure things out for who knows why. But here I am, okay, maybe disciples too. We have personally experienced, specifically him, he's, a, he, he's from heaven. He knows everything there is to know about God. He knows everything there is to know about the kingdom of God. He is the authority. He has eyewitness testimony from himself, and he's come to earth to speak about it. I'll give you we, right? Wow. Jesus came from heaven. He knows what he's talking about when he speaks about heaven. Verse 12, if if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And based upon, again, close context, the whole thing, I don't think he's saying, I haven't told you anything about heaven yet. I think he's speaking in such a way, talking about basics and advanced stuff, using heaven and earth in that way. If I only had that verse, I wouldn't come to that conclusion, but based upon the whole thing, I think that's what he's saying. Because he has been telling them about heaven. But if you can't even grasp the most earthly thing about heaven, if you will, the most fundamental, basic, rudimentary thing about heaven, and here you come under the cloak of darkness wanting to know the extra level stuff, you'd never get it because you don't even know two plus two is four. I think reading 11 and 12 together is helpful and it makes it quite strong. How about verse 13? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Supporting his previous arguments. I don't think Jesus is saying no one has ever gone to heaven before. Jesus isn't that dumb. He knows the Old Testament well enough to know that. 
But he's speaking specifically regarding at the very end, the Son of Man. Okay, that's from Daniel 7. That's from the Old Testament. That's a title for the Messiah. The Eternal One who's been sent from the Eternal Father to rule and reign forever. You want to know who knows about heaven? The one who knows, let me say it that way, about heaven, definitively, exhaustively, intricately, and any other kind of lee, right? The one who knows is the Son of Man. He's the one who knows about this. Again, interpret it in the context, even from chapter 1. And I am him, and I came here from heaven. Changes everything. It's not even a fair fight. From what we know, even from extra-biblical writings, the Jews are fascinated about heaven, as we all have been and all are. There's a reason to be fascinated. And there's extra-biblical writings about how so-and-so went to heaven and they had this experience and they came back to talk about it and who so-and-so went. And a lot of times it's tied to Moses. Not biblical stuff. Moses had a unique experience. He, he, he had the amazing glimpse of heaven on the mountaintop. But a lot of times then they're going to write even more about it and they're going to explain and they're going to give the details. And, oh, isn't it amazing? We have our sacred tradition and we've got all of this, what we would call today bestsellers. Let's go, let's learn the secrets. And Jesus says, there's no one who knows about heaven like I know about heaven. And I'm here to tell you that you're not going there apart from God making you new again. That's what's happening. Where to cut, where to paste. That's my world right now. Let's end with verse 14. And as Moses, I wonder if he's using Moses on purpose. Well, I think he is. All this heaven, secrets about heaven. Moses did have that super duper unique experience. Is Jesus anti-Moses? No, let me, let me talk about Moses. And verse 14, as Moses. Oh, like Moses, similar to Moses. You want him to be your, your superstar rock star? Let me use him actually as an example. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... He's knowing that Nicodemus should know. Numbers chapter 21. The people are, because of the plagues, and the people are bit by the snake, and they're going to die physically. And so God makes a provision. And on the post, on the rod, you have the, the serpent. And if they look to the serpent, God had ordained and set up a means for healing physically. If they look to the serpent, they would be healed. Okay? According to Numbers chapter 21, 8 and 9. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, physical healing, 
temporary physical healing. Let's keep reading now. So must the Son of Man, O Messiah, be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Ha ha ha! This is awesome! It's kind of like the Moses thing. It's kind of like the Moses thing, like we've heard earlier in John, but it's better. It's way better. Physical, temporary healing. Eternal life, he says. Lasts forever. Made new. Cleansing. Fit for heaven. It's a deal changer. And even the way it's worded, perhaps not as clear in our English translations, but you don't look to the lifted up servant as God's symbolic provision that leads to physical life. No, here in our text, even in the English Standard Version, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He's, he's the object of faith. That serpent, by the way, wasn't the object of faith in the wilderness. God is. God's provision. Now we have Jesus as God's provision, but guess what? You're having him as the object of faith. faith. You're believing in him. You go from good to the best of the best of the best of the best. You look to him. And think about as the serpent was lifted up, we're going to see in John, Jesus is lifted up to Calvary, which seems so wrong, but that's how Isaiah 52 talks. He's going to be lifted up to Calvary. We're also going to see he's lifted up in the resurrection. And he is lifted up in the ascension. And so we look to the lifted up one. The one who conquers the grave. The one who atones for sin. Oh, the one who is, therefore what we're seeing here, the one who is the way to be spiritually washed, cleansed, made new, and so that we might have the spirit, so that we might have the new heart. It all comes because of him and his work. Now that's not unpacked here, but we know the rest of the story and that's where it's headed and it is awesome. How are you born from above? Because of him. It all comes back to him. So Nicodemus needs to believe in Jesus because he's spiritually filthy. I can say the same thing to you if you're not a believer. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to look to him and embrace him as your substitute, the one who does it for you, and you're made clean. You're given a new heart. You need to do that. If Nicodemus needed to do that, You need to do that. And by the way, we didn't get into it, but he even uses some universal statements. This isn't just for Jews. We're not going to go back, but it is there. We'll see it again and again. But now let me end by saying this. If you have trusted in Jesus, if you've looked to the raised up, better than serpent one, It's my pastoral duty to tell you that you have eternal life. Yeah, but I don't feel like I do. Yeah, but I feel kind of spiritually dirty. It's my duty as a pastor to say to you, you have eternal life. If you have trusted in the raised up one. So, If I can, 
I have a command for you. Don't you dare leave today. Anything less than sure of your salvation. Regardless, if you truly have looked to the raised up one. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you do inside of yourself. It's about what he has done. And we miss that. We should leave if we're trusting in him. If we're not, we need to be. But if we're trusting in him, hallelujah, what a savior. Irreversible, undeniable, sure, absolute. I can't wait to get to John 10. Jesus says, I will lose none of them. Amen? Okay, we need to pro. Father, thank you for a great morning at Omaha Bible Church. Thank you for uh, an even better Savior who makes our days great. You know and we know that our lives are sometimes a mess and complicated and we're, we're hurt and we're hurting others even. And we struggle. And we don't want it to be an excuse, but we, we do need to be reminded that salvation is of the Lord and it's not of our own doing. So please free us to be reminded of what Jesus has done and that eternal life is in him. Being born from above comes because of him and that it is ours by faith that we can have eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.